Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is a podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. Do you ever have those moments where something happens and you're just like, yep, I live in X. So in my case, yep, I live in Germany. Because I had a moment like that just a couple hours ago. There was this really cool program through my workplace where you could bring your bike, drop it off in the morning, pick it up after work, and Over the day, there was a sort of mobile bike fixer team (laughs) that went in and just gave it a quick tune-up and checked that everything was working all right. So I signed myself up, dropped my bike off, came back in the afternoon to pick it up, and I was five minutes late because the tram got delayed. Now, I did have a phone call a couple minutes before my official pickup time, but just ignored it. (laughs) And then I got to the place to pick up my bike, as said, like four or five minutes late. And they were gone. Like the mobile bike team just was like, bye, <laughs> and left because they wanted to get home. Yeah, because I, I called I called the number back that had called me and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we just went. We wanted to go home. So your bike is in that bike shed. And I was like, how do I get into this bike shed? I don't even know what the bike shed is, let alone have a key. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's in there. So, you know, just let, find someone to let you in and, and grab your bike. I just could not believe this. I was like, yep, I I live in Germany. There it is. <laughs> in, in America, for instance, that would probably never happen. I mean, they assume people are going to be at least five minutes late. I think any given event plans at least 15, if not 30 minutes on the end to something like that where there's a deadline because they just assume people are going to be late. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that's how we do things. And I really can't imagine having someone else's property in your hands and then being like, oh, well, I want to get home to the kids or I want to go home and make dinner. (laughs) So you just leave that person's property somewhere and figure they'll they'll figure it out. (laughs) That would just not go over well at all in most situations in the US. And I mean, it's not like stuff like this happens all of the time in Germany, but also like it kind of does. Like (laughs) there are definitely stores where the people just kind of close spontaneously because they feel like going to get lunch. People are really in control of their days. They are not beholden to many outside factors. So there's your very German moment of the day. With that being said, (laughs) let's get on to today's episode. This one's pretty exciting because it's actually inspired by a listener email. Just goes to show you guys, I really do read my emails eventually, not always on time. I don't always get back to you on time, but I read them. And when you have topic suggestions, when you have input, I I do really take it seriously. So thank you to the listener who sent this question and sent the scenario. It ended up inspiring such a good episode. This is all about third culture kids and cross-cultural kids, TCKs and CCKs, which are terms I see all the time in the expat community, but I have to say I didn't know what they were at all before becoming a part of this community. So I definitely needed a crash course on what it is, and, and today's guest provided a wonderful overview. Anna is a third culture kid herself. She's got plenty of insights from her own life, from her family, and from her clients because she coaches other expats. So this one's for you listeners who might be planning to move abroad soon with a family or have just made that move and are trying to figure out how it all works. I think this one is going to have a lot of good tips for you. Enjoy! I'm Anna. I have a U.S. passport. I grew up in Germany, and after many years and many stations, I'm actually back in Germany in Sindelfingen, south of Stuttgart now. 
Nice. And how long have you been back? A year and a half now. Oh my gosh, this is like a just before Corona move. Yes, we moved back from China just before uh, COVID hit in in Germany. Yeah. Oh man. So we were still we're still in our little bubble. We haven't really integrated well yet. Maybe if you want to give us a quick rundown of the places you've lived throughout your life, so we have a little understanding before we dive into the topic of TCK's third culture kids. Sure. So uh, I moved with my parents in 1978. Because my, my um, dad worked for the military as a teacher, as a Dodds teacher at the time. So we moved to Germany for two years, which turned into something like 25 years, <laughs> <laughs> as it does. Um, and that was only possible because we were civilians, not, not active duty military. And I went back to the States a couple of times. I went to high school in the States. I went to college for a little while, came back to Germany, got my uh, engineering degree in Germany. Then I moved to Switzerland, where I worked as an engineer. Then I got a, a text message from my soon-to-be husband at some point that just said, you want to move to South Africa? So we moved to South Africa, <laughs> lived there after that, back to Germany, back to South Africa. And then most recently, we spent the last four years in China, in Beijing, before we returned to Germany. I'm impressed that you're able to keep it all straight, first off. That's a lot. <laughs> well done. <laughs> And then second off, I believe, though you can correct me here, I believe this qualifies you as a TCK. But my actual question is, what is a TCK? <laughs> right. A TCK is uh, an abbreviation for third culture kid. It's a term commonly used by expat coaches and trainers, therapists, and so on. It's to describe children that have spent a significant part of their developmental years outside of their parents' passport country. TCKs combine all the different cultures that they've grown up with. So their parents' cultures plus the cultures of the countries that they are living in. They don't feel really strongly connected to any one culture usually, but more rather a sense of belonging to other people with the same background. That, that's kind of what unifies the TCKs around the world, even if they've grown up in completely different places. And so based on this, are you a TCK then? Yes, I'm a TCK because I grew up in Germany as an American with American parents. So that qualifies me as a TCK. And my dad is also a TCK. Once we grow up, we call them ATCKs, adult TCKs. And our children are TCKs as well because they've grown up in various countries around the world that are not our passport countries. One that I actually learned through coming into contact with you is a CCK. So can you explain what that is, especially in how it differentiates from a TCK? Happy to. So a CCK is a cross-cultural kid. And this is a much, much broader definition. It's a person that's lived in or interacted with in a meaningful way two or more cultural environments during their developmental years. So that includes children, um, say, in Germany of... Just to use an example, my, my, my husband is a CCK. His mother is British. His dad is German. He grew up in Germany. But because of the cross-cultural nature of his parents' marriage, he interacted with his English side and his granny in England, plus the German culture. So he's got the cross-cultural um, aspect of that. TCK, third culture kids, are automatically also cross-cultural kids. But there are other kinds of kids that are cross-cultural kids. You've got migrant children, immigrant children, children um, that, like I said, growing up in a cross-cultural marriage. It's a much broader definition. And the TCK is just a subgroup of that. Oh my gosh, I find this all so highly interesting. And I just got so excited that we got to talk about all this for 30 minutes. Um, 
Okay. I also want to say this episode is is inspired in large part by an email I got from a listener who was considering moving to Germany. And I believe, I, if I remember the scenario correctly, and if I understand the definitions correctly, then their kids would be CCKs because the father, I believe, was from Germany, but the kids and the mom was from America, but the kids totally grew up in the US, though with some connection to this German background. And so as they're considering a move to Germany, they they had all these questions because, yeah, it's not totally foreign. It's not this this sort of random location. It's There is a lot of connection to it already, but there's also so much that's unknown and unclear. They wanted to learn more about what they could maybe expect or what they could do to make this transition positive for everyone and make it a good adaptation, especially for the kids. So that's sort of a scenario that I want to just put onto the table of the conversation that we can come back to, as well as as you feel comfortable um, sharing from your own experience. Either you said your dad is a TCK, you're a TCK, your kids are TCKs. So you've got a lot of experience in your family as well. So let's start off with basic sort of building stone of integration to a new place, which would be language. So how would you say that language fluency impacts a child's experience with an international move? I would say it's not a necessity at all. Children with the right encouragement and the right kind of environment will pick up a language very quickly especially if they're immersed in like a, a native language school, then they're going to pick it up a lot faster. And fluency is not a requirement or a prerequisite for adaptation at all. It's actually on the contrary. If the children are fluent in, in a local language and they even look the part, so say in your example, you've got a family of currently cross-cultural kids, right, that are moving to Germany. They speak German. They might look you know, German. They might dress German. And then they um, start school in Germany. So they look and sound German, but they're not. And they don't actually know all those hidden cultural cues. They don't know how to act and behave. And that can actually make it harder because people are wondering, why don't you know how to do this? Why don't you know how to act here? Or they're acting out. And so it's sometimes in the beginning, it's easier if you don't speak the language. As you learn it, you're also learning the cultural cues. So, So it goes both ways. The next question really is how easily do kids learn the language? And that really depends on the two things of how much they're integrated in the local language and their age. The younger the child, the easier they're going to pick up the language. As they get older, our, their brains start to become more solidified, I suppose. I'm, I'm not a language expert. I just know that they do struggle to learn languages the older they get and start to become you know, more like adults. That's so interesting about how the the fluency can actually be almost a barrier. And it's it's clicking into place as you're saying it, because I know several cross-cultural kids, um, people similar to what you described your husband grew up with. So two different cultures through your two different parents and a connection to both and a fluency in both languages, if there's two languages involved. And I've definitely heard them say this, that it's actually been hard for them because people don't see them as other or different. They think, you know, you have this connection, you have this language. What's so hard? Why aren't you getting this? Um, because that other aspect isn't as visible. It's not as present right away. So that's so interesting. Right. We call them hidden immigrants. That, that There's another term there. The hidden immigrants are also people, they can be adults or children, that return to a country, repatriate after a while, after they've been away a long time. And the, their so-called home culture has changed perhaps, or like in the case of my children, they never really lived in Germany. And now they're plopped down in Germany. Um, 
they speak the language, they look very German, but yet they don't know how to get the cart at the supermarket, <laughs> right? They they don't know that they have to write down all of their homework at school and the dates of the tests. Um, my my son in third grade, fourth grade, sorry, fell on his face a couple of times because he didn't realize he had a test because he didn't know that he was expected to write it down and nobody told him because he looks and speaks German. So this brings me to the next question, which is a broad one, but we can just sort of get into it. How do kids adapt overall? So we talked a bit about language, which is, of course, a huge aspect or can be. But mm-hmm. what have you learned um, adaptation can look like? What are some things that, that help that don't help? Broadly speaking, children can adapt very quickly. They want to please us. They want to fit in. That's a, that's a natural urge they have. And adaptation will depend on a lot of factors. First and foremost, parents' attitude. I think that that's a key in in anything, in language learning and preparing for a move is how we act um, if we're very upset about it, if there's arguments between the parents, if one parent is obviously very nervous or resistant, that's all going to be picked up by the kids. Assuming, though, that we're positive and we're curious, then the kids will take that on as well. I just like to, you know, Think about what's happening in a child's world and life if we move them. And this really applies to any child or adolescent. We're taking them from a place that they know, and we put them on a plane, and a few hours later, their entire world is turned upside down. Everything sounds different, smells different, tastes different, climate might be different, people dress different, the language is different, friends, family, teachers, routines, their physical home, their mode of transportation, the food everything changes. The only thing that remains is their nuclear family. So their parents and their siblings if they have them. So that becomes really, really, really important to the adaptation. And maintaining some sense of routine and and consistency within that is critical for helping children to adapt. That once we have that that base at home, that, that consistency, as much as possible, then their their minds are basically free to soak up all the other stuff and adapt to that um, as, as we start to integrate and, and settle into a new place. You've touched on this already, but what is sort of within a parent's control here to make this the best case scenario for adaptation for their kids? Because obviously, also for the adults, a lot of stuff's new and a lot of stuff's out of their control. They might not know themselves how to get the cart at the grocery store, you know, um, they're learning it too. But but what sort of within their realm of possibilities, what can parents mm-hmm. do to help out? Well, just very basic logistical stuff. First. So, so gather as much information as you can before you be excited and be curious. Curiosity is, is like the thing that I preach because be like a child, right? And And just soak it up and find out as much as you can beforehand. Thanks to the internet, there's a lot of information out there. You know, you want to filter it a little bit, but you want to get information on your logistics. So um, find out as much as you can before about housing options, about grocery shopping, about um, clothing, about your transportation. Don't assume that you're going to be driving your kids to school, for example, or that there's a school bus, right? Um, In Germany, kids usually walk to school or ride their bikes. That was a big change for our kids, too. So, so just those logistical things, those sort those out, get as much information as you can. You're never going to cover it all, but get that sorted so there aren't any massive surprises and share the information with your kids. 
just simple things is when you are packing and you might be in transition for a while, take some familiar things like a favorite pillowcase. doesn't take up much room and you can put it on any hotel, Airbnb, you know, pillow, wherever you need it. You've got that familiarity. Or if your kids are small and they have like a favorite bowl that they eat their cereal out of, pack that, right? So a few things that are that are familiar um, that can help just in as everything else is changing to have those around. I said already, um, try to maintain routines as much as possible um, so that, that, that life together stays as similar as you know it as possible. So for small children, like the bedtime routines, or, um, even for older kids, don't just throw everything out. Try to even, you know, they, they need the routines as well. And, and those are the things that you have in, con- under control. Also find out, figure out, have your first few days sort of know where you're going to be staying, where the food is coming from. If you're coming to Germany, you need to know that the stores are closed on Sunday. You can't just <laughs> land here and expect to go shopping. You know, and there's different rules like that around the world. If you go to Oman, uh, I think Friday and Saturday is your weekend, right? Sunday is a work day. Um, so those are just those things that you can Google, that you can ask people that you can find out about. And the really key thing that takes a little more work is making connections before you come whether that's through Facebook groups or through the company might have, so the HR might have some kind of relocation assistance or like a sponsorship program, contact the schools that you're going to be going to, you know, make some connections there, ask if the schools have like a buddy system so that when you arrive, you have somebody that you know, somebody that you can call, somebody that can maybe meet you or pop by in the first few days and and be a familiar, friendly face. Sometimes I hear of especially people who are moving for a job where there's a relocation package included, they're able to ship containers of their belongings and furniture even over with them. Is there any limit to like this this concept of taking enough stuff with you and, and recreating enough of your existing routines? Like if I could recreate a child's bedroom to a T in my shipping container allotment from my relocation package. Do you know if that would theoretically be if, if there's a point of sort of overkill? Or is it always? Or is it <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, that would take away the whole adventuresome spirit of, the, of new stuff and finding out different things and all. When we have moved, we have usually had a package to move with. So we did, but more for simplicity reason, we would pack our furniture because then we knew what we'd have you never quite knew what you were going to get at the other end. Or to be honest, how long you're going to stay there. A two-year assignment with, you know, in a furnished house can easily turn into a five-year assignment. We heard at the beginning your two years, that was what, 25 years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> I haven't actually done the math, but somewhere around there. Um, so I would, if you have the option, yes, take your stuff. But then you have to consider things like electricity, like your U.S. appliances don't work in Germany. Or, and, and what's feasible and what's realistic. I mean, it's always a good chance when you move to sort of sort out all your stuff, right? Do you really still need all these things? Especially kids acquire a lot of stuff that they can leave behind. So I would not try to recreate things exactly. But if you have the container, I would pack it just because then you do have your familiar things. But you can also bring things like your favorite pictures and, you know, the picture frames that you like to have them in. And those things that make it comfortable to be, you know, that feel comfort, comforts of home. Also, you can take documents that you need, although you might not want to put those in the shipping container. We we made that mistake once. (laughs) But uh, no, I wouldn't try to recreate everything. Take what's realistic. But if you don't, then you have to, you know, you work with what you have when you get here. 
you don't need all those things to maintain your routines. I mean, everywhere you live, you're going to have a bath or a shower. And if you give your kid a bath or a shower every night, then you do that. It just it, what helps in transition is a few small familiar things, like the favorite bedtime stories. So, so those small comforts of home. But it's up to everybody to decide how much stuff they actually bring and what makes sense. And let's say someone has taken all of your wonderful advice to a T, yet their kid is still having a really tough time adjusting and seems to be just resisting the whole move. What are some things that one can do in that scenario? Uh, You need to sit down and just listen to what your kid has to say. Children act out or their, their behavior is a message to us for something that's going on inside them. Um, one really important thing for parents of third culture kids or cross culture kids for that matter, but especially if as we're transitioning, you can help your kids by giving them language to express their emotions. If they're still very young, you can use uh, like a printout of smileys with frowns and sad faces and stuff. And then you can just speak to them and say, you know, what are you feeling? You're using your own words, but we if they're acting out in some way, then there's something going on. There's a need that's not being met. There's there's an emotion that they're trying to express and they're not sure how to. So we need to take the time one-on-one um, just to spend time with them and see how they're doing and check in with them because sometimes that's all it takes, right? Sometimes they're just feeling ignored or overwhelmed with the whole situation, whether before I'm moving or after we've moved, right? It's really important to take the time to spend with our children and, and see how they're doing. And when you know what, what more of what's at the root of it, then you can acknowledge their, their needs and their emotions. Don't brush them off. Don't promise anything that you can't keep. You know, they're not going to make friends on day one. Uh, and they are going to miss their friends back home. And maybe you had to say goodbye to a pet and leave the pet. You know, th- those are things that moments of grief that we need to acknowledge and that we need to process. And we do that best by talking about it or by drawing pictures or finding ways to say goodbye. Then once you've spoken to your kid, it's something that you'll need to do over and over, probably depending on how resistant they are. After you've had that conversation, you also need to find things to look forward to. A hobby that they've been wanting to take up that they haven't had a chance to because it wasn't available. My son started Kung Fu in China. So there are things that they can pick up to something to make them look forward to it as well. But the most important thing really is take their emotions very seriously. Don't negate them. Don't brush them off and don't promise anything that you know is not going to happen. Talk about what's making them sad, whether it's things that they're missing or having a hard time saying goodbye to, or whether it's struggles that they're having in the new place. There's a lot going on in, in kids and some things we just don't see what's happening. So we really have to take the time. And it's, it's a worthwhile investment because one of the things I didn't say at the beginning about TCKs is that there's some huge, huge advantages to being a TCK, to growing up a TCK. You know, there's, the list goes on and on about resilience and possibly you know, flexibility and confidence and so on. But there is also, as with anything, a flip side. TCKs tend to have problems with um, identities, like who am I, where do I belong, lack of belonging. So who do I belong to? Which which group am I associated with? Whether it's culture or whether it's a country or various things. So there's issues of identity and belonging that always come up. And the third big one is grief. Because we say goodbye a lot and we miss things. Like we miss grandma's 70th birthday party. We miss a wedding. We miss different things. So all of that is grief that needs to be talked about and processed and not glossed over. And once we, if we do that, we can help our TCKs become really strong so that the um, potential mental health problems that can develop in adult TCKs 
don't don't happen. To bring back adult TCKs and also the parents of TCKs, um, the next couple of questions are going to focus on them more. And starting off with how is it for parents who aren't adapting quite as well? You know, before I asked about when a kid isn't adjusting or is seemingly resisting, what about the parent who isn't? Okay, it can be really, really hard for parents. Assuming that they've moved because one or the other, one of the parents has a job, that parent usually has an easier time because they go to work, right? There's a work environment that gives them structure, that gives them a routine. Relatively quickly, they will adjust and and be okay. It's usually the parent that's at home that really struggles. For the sake of, you know, the majority, I will call her a she because it is still usually the women that end up staying home. They become the accompanying spouse. It is a massive, massive job, and it can be very, very hard, and it's not recognized how difficult it is. They are dealing with everything at home, so all of the house stuff, all of the shopping, getting the kids settled at school, figuring out um, what everybody needs, how everything works, and then trying to take care of themselves in a complete isolation with very little support, with nobody to turn to, you know, the friends are gone and all of that. And then the whole power dynamics within the relationship can change. Maybe they were both employed in their home country and now she's at home. She has no income. She's not sure what her purpose is in all of this. Then making friends can be really tricky as well. So you're lacking the connection and finding connection is probably the most important thing you need to do as an accompanying spouse because you need the network for yourself. You need it to help you with kids and other questions because you don't have the routines that your spouse who's going to work will probably have. And that can have a huge impact on your mental health. It can impact your relationship. You also know that you're possibly the only one there for the kids because the you know the, your partner who's at work is working a lot because you know he's proving himself in the new job and wants to show that everything's going well and he's committed. So it's usually the mom that ends up under a huge, huge strain trying to make everything happen quickly. And she's often the last one to really feel adapted and settled. And I got a little stressed just hearing about all that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk about how, what we can do about what it. What can we do? Well, because also something that's in the back of my mind from, from earlier is how important it is for the kids that the parents have a good attitude or are also excited about learning. And there's this positive curiosity. There could be this additional pressure of I've got to seem like I've got it together so that they have this example. So yeah, so tell us how we fix it. What can we do? <laughs> well, it's it's not a quick fix, but the key to all of this, and this is something that families should know before anybody that's moving should know, is what's your why? Why are you moving? And that's not just to follow my spouse to his dream job, but find something for yourself that why are you going? Because I need a break, because I want to be there for my kids, because I finally want to follow my passion and build up my dream job online doing something. So so each of us should have a why. And when we're having a really, really bad day, that can remind us what, what why we're here and what we can do about it. And then when everything else is... Literally, the shit is hitting the fan, right? Because everything is just going really bad and it's super, super stressful. The most important thing that you can do is to take care of yourself, okay? And that might mean 
getting a donor kebab for lunch <laughs> or throwing a pizza in the oven and not going grocery shopping and not cleaning the house and forgetting about the laundry and reading a book, going for a run, whatever it is, you have to take care of yourself. Because only when we take care of ourselves do we have the capacity to take care of everybody else. Really, we have to prioritize what's important here and now today and what isn't. So all those little details, all that stuff, you know, some of it can probably wait while we look after ourselves. Because if we are completely worn out, we have no capacity for our children or our partnership. And that's the key thing. And so look, knowing what your happy place is and what you need to do to make yourself feel better and finding connection. So you're not staying at home alone all the time, but kicking yourself out of the house, going out and finding people. It's not easy, It's but it's something that you have to do if you want to feel more integrated and more adapted. Yeah, and something I always like to remind myself of is it doesn't always have to be your soulmate of friendship right away. If you're a bit more discerning or a bit more picky about who you want to spend your time with, it can be a bit of a bummer if you feel like you're not meeting these people that you're super duper clicking with. But finding people that you have any amount of connection with or who are even just willing to talk to you for five minutes in the driveway on your way out the door, some some kind of connection, it's something and it's a start. In coaching, we call them um, small, medium and, and large connections. And those small ones are what we need at the beginning. We need the woman selling the baked goods at the bakery to smile at us, right, to recognize us. Maybe she even knows what we want before we have to say it. Now, that's really cool. Those are the small connections and we need those. And that's the first start. And that gives us the confidence then to go out and make like the medium connections. Those might be, you know, people on the street or in the apartment. And only once we have those can we even hope to start having the confidence to go and find the deeper connections too. I like this idea too of almost creating the connection where there is none in some way just by going to the same bakery till they know your order sort of forcing the hand a little bit because it's not actually about that in interaction on a personal level. It's just about someone knows who I am. Always go to the same cashier at the store so they recognize you, right? It, it's, they sound so simple and small, but when you're feeling really, really lost in a new space, those are the things that can get you through. But if we can just loop back to the parents being there for the kids, um, when we talked about adaptation, I, I touched briefly on how important the parents are for the kids. And I talked about identity for, for third culture kids. There's a model that I like a lot that really shows it and showcases that how identity is developed. And it's by Barbara Knuckles, who is a philosopher. And she says that identity is formed by basically three tent poles holding up our identity. One is family, one is the place where we are, and one is the community. And if you just think of those three poles holding up a tent and we move, the only thing left is family. And that just shows how important the family and the parents and siblings are when we're in a new place before we have built up the other two pillars again. So knowing how important parents are for their children's identity development makes it even more important that we take care of ourselves too, because we have to be there for our kids. It's not selfish to take care of ourselves and to do things for ourselves. It's actually fundamentally important. Because we are living in the COVID era at the time of recording, um, a lot of socialization has, has switched to online. For a lot of people moving abroad, it's like, oh, cool. Everyone else is on for the the online hangs now. This is great. This is how we often have to interact with our family and friends from afar. But now everyone's on board. I'm wondering what you could say about 
finding the right balance there or is there a right balance, especially at the beginning of a move, of having things like online playdates with friends from back home when there's not friends in the new location yet? As with everything, it's balanced. But I think there would be a huge risk if we only leaned on and only maintained those old connections. So back home then we isolate ourselves and we don't spend the time trying to make new connections in our in our new home. We need the old connections, especially in the beginning. They they help us, they bolster us, and people are usually interested in, oh, how are you doing? But I find over time that interest wanes um, and they can't always understand the stuff that we're going through. And for children, as well as parents, it's important to find connections locally. And that might mean in Germany, um, you know, getting on all the WhatsApp groups that all the parents are in, whether it's in the apartment block or on the street or the, the kids' class, finding people that way. And also finding ways to connect with people in real life without getting too close. Like for my birthday last year, we just got here and you know, I obviously couldn't have a party. So I baked American chocolate chip cookies and I packed them all up in little bags and I stuck a note on, I said, um, this is my virtual birthday party with my name and my phone number. And I dropped them off at all of our neighbors' houses. That was an icebreaker. Um, some people showed up later and brought me flowers oh, and stuff, oh. you know, and their phone numbers. And it just sort of softened the connection between them and us. And I would try to find the balance between online connections, which are important. And thankfully, we have those now. But don't just hang out with the people back home. Find new connections in your new place. That's really important. What would you say are some things that families can do ahead of time to prepare for a move? What can they do now to make this better? Yeah, I talked about some of the logistics already, but I'd like to just talk a little bit more about the emotional aspect of moving. So there's a few things we can do. But knowing your why, why are we going? For each of the adults individually, but also as a family. What are we trying to achieve for our family, for our children? Why are we going? Know that, write it down, talk about it as a family if you need to, because when t things get hard, and they will, then you can go back and re remember why you wanted to go in the first place. The other thing is to know your family values, like what are your unshakable truths that you're always going to take with you that's always important to you? What are your, your core guiding lights, really, as a family? And these are exercises that you can do ahead of time. And if you didn't do them ahead of time, then you can do them after you arrive. It just helps you bond as a family and kind of know who you are and which direction you're going. And the same thing with a family mantra, like, you know, have a saying that makes you you as a family. Those are things that you can do ahead of time um, to get ready and then to use those as you arrive and just keep that present so you know why you're doing this in the first place and the other thing that's really 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 important before you leave is to say goodbye well because only when we have that closure of saying goodbye can we be open and curious about the new place we're going and that's saying goodbye to the people and the pets and the places and you know the last food that you know like you're like if you like Krispy Kreme go have Krispy Kreme or whatever it is that you need to eat you know like that last time Say goodbye to all of those things. Take pictures. And once you've done all that and really said goodbye well, then you'll be ready and open to the new adventure that's to come. That's so wonderful. I'm going to thread a couple things together. Ready? You can get your, your family motto and then you can get it like embroidered into a pillow and then you bring the pillow with and that's one of your anchoring <laughs> yes. moments. 
it all comes together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. With that, we're going to round the corner and head to home with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions where you answer them without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? I guess. (laughs) (laughs) What is one item that through all of your moves, or at least many of your moves, you've brought with you that's your own? My grandmother's silver grapefruit spoon. Maybe this is weird, but I I have a a chore that's just my favorite to do, and I've turned it into almost a self-care chore. So I want to know, what's yours? What's your weird chore that you're just kind of cool with and enjoy doing? I actually like to fold laundry. I I hate how much time it takes, but I like the the neatness of everything. And everything is always the same size and sorted. That's the engineer coming up. But I, (laughs) I, I like the process of folding laundry. And listening to podcasts while I do it. Yes, there's that plug we wanted. <laughs> um, the last question is, what is your go-to jam song of the moment? Maybe not your fam- favorite song, but just one you like to turn on when you need a little boost of feel-good energy. Uh, well, since I'm a mother, <laughs> that would probably just be uh, the Troll soundtrack or uh, the, um, the Greatest Showman soundtrack. And now I'm I'm sure a lot of people want to reach out and connect. You had so many great tips to share. And for a very good reason that we haven't even gotten to mention yet. You're also a coach. So please tell us a bit about your work currently and how people can find you. I am an expat coach and trainer. I run workshops for parents and children. That's really important to me that we include the whole family because everybody's going and everybody's going through this. And I also do one-on-one coaching with um, usually it's it's the accompanying partners, the mom, helping them adjust. And because coaching takes you through a journey over time, it's not just a one-off usually. It's a, it's a longer thing that really helps people adjust and settle in and deal with all the different aspects of of the new space and a new, um, a changed lifestyle. But what I'm really excited about is the family workshops, because I think it's important to get everybody on board with that. And your website or social media? I'm Global Mobility Trainer everywhere that's globalmobilitytrainer.com on instagram facebook linkedin you'll find me there super and we'll also link to it in the show notes of course anna thank you so very much for coming on and sharing all of this wonderful insight and wonderful tips with us thank you this has been fun thank you again anna for coming onto the expat cast links to her website are in the show notes If you are a listener with a topic suggestion or a question that you'd love to hear addressed on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. Drop me a line over the contact form on my website. That's theexpatcast.com. And who knows, maybe your message will become a future episode. You can also reach out to me on Instagram and on Twitter at theexpatcast. As always, I love it when I get a new review. So go ahead and leave me some stars. Leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, on my website. I really appreciate every single one. Thank you, as always, goes to Amy Lungy Art for the logo and to Sidehug for the theme music. They're on Instagram at a hug from the side. On Thursday, I'll be in your feeds with a special Mother's Day episode where I talk to a mother-daughter expat duo about how their intercultural expat experience has impacted their family and their mother-daughter relationship. Till then, have a wonderful week. See you in May. Bis done. Tschüss.